If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let us explain. First of all, Tim, it's free. We love free. Ah, There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Did I mention that it's free? I did, didn't I? You did. Well, it's not only free. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much every other one. Many, many more. And you can make money from your podcast. That cheddar. Cha-ching. With no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the Anchor app for free or go to anchor.fm to get started. We love Anchor. Welcome back to Beyond Strange World. I'm Tim Polari here today in the Crawl Space Studios with Lance Reinsteiner. What's up, Lance? What's going on? It feels good to be here. It feels good that I'm here and not hiking on certain mountains called Mount Shasta. Yeah, that's a good point. So today we are talking about episode three from the TV show Strange World from Travel Channel that now airs at 11 p.m. on Monday nights. And we are being joined by star of the show, Christopher Garitano. Christopher, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Great. I love how his intro, gets, his intro gets more and more uh, bold and dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I like that. Speaking of bold and dramatic. To be worthy of that. Yeah. I mean, and speaking of bold and dramatic intros, the intro in this episode was quite terrifying seeing you walking through the woods and uh we're all like what what is going on he's he's hiking a mountain now yeah and first of all sure, it, it, sure. it's so good to hear your voice and we we know that you are here on the line and at least for the time being you're safe yeah now okay let me see uh, obviously a television show is sourced from many many hours of footage and so that evening you know um we were at the base of Mount Shasta, and my suggestion to everyone and production was, look, why don't I, I think this would be interesting for the audience, is that if I just go out and walk around at night and contemplate on what it's like to be alone in the woods, I think that's interesting. Okay, so tell us what Mount Shasta is, where is it geographically, and why is this a standout as far as the strange world that you're trying to uncover and, and show to people. Okay. Well, Mount Shasta is actually a dormant volcano in Northern California. And this is a chapter out of many. And, uh, and a lot of people don't know this in, in thousands of cases over the years of people going missing in our national forests and national parks. Mount Shasta is just one chapter in all of that. And um, this one has a unique story behind it, but, uh, and I'll get to that, but, you know, there are people that go missing every year for obvious reasons. They're not prepared, animal attacks, they want to go missing, 
serial killers, but serial killers actually uh, teeter on the, the border of the mystery. Uh, but there are a lot of different things happening in the forest that we can't explain. And so there are a series of events that just, you know, the, the, the people that do this every day, search and rescue, which we do talk to in in the episode, and we also talk to law enforcement, they don't know what to think. Now, these, these people do this every day. They investigate every molecule of the, the missing case, and um, they come up with nothing in the end. You know, we can all sit here and speculate in our let our imaginations go wild, but their job is to do the opposite. Right. They use science to find people and they can't, they have no explanation. There's nothing that's typical of people going missing by getting lost or falling or an animal attack or anything in these particular cases. And so the cases we look at in this episode fall in that category. And um, I had a friend a while back that pointed out a series of books to me and he was actually doing a documentary on the entirety of it, yes. not just this this very one chapter. But uh, uh, it was terrifying. I, I did read the book Missing 411, and we were talking to the author to be a big part of this episode. And it just, you know, as as things go, it didn't particularly work out in the end. Oh, OK. But but this is, you know, the Mount Shasta episode is based off of a chapter in that investigation yeah. one chapter you know yeah we're pretty and, familiar with his work um and uh was was gonna definitely gonna ask you about about him or if uh if you had uh come across his work in your in your uh work on this episode yeah mind you there are a lot of books on the subject not just his like i have a series of books on those subjects like there's um unsolved disappearances in the great smoky mountains you know like a lot of people have covered this over the years so it's not just him yep. but his work is particularly thorough and chilling and that's really what sparked all of this it was a friend of mine who you know who pointed me in that direction and eventually i figured you know it would be cool if we just kind of touched upon one aspect of it. And obviously, you know, you would need an entire series, which I think he is making yeah. uh, to really thoroughly get into this entirety, you know, the entirety of his idea and his investigation of what he thinks it is. I personally, you know, I don't want to give anything away too early, but I, you know, we were looking at everything, but one aspect in Mount Shasta is, and this has been a, a legend around the mountain is that there's this ancient civilization living deep within the earth. I'm not ruling that one out, but a lot of people believe that there are people that are, that are going there to try and meet this, uh, this, this unexplained civilization. Yeah. And uh, there are a lot of stories, I think from some legit people, you know, like that people with some credibility that, some sobriety to their character that have some very odd tales that might support this idea. I don't know if I particularly believe that part of it, but um, it's worth exploring. Yeah. And so you went to law enforcement, you spoke to Sheriff John Lopey, who had a, a pretty great um, qu quote here. He said, you have to respect the mountain and some people don't. And so from his perspective, he I, I assume that he chalks up a lot of these disappearances to accidental deaths or something like that. He does, but he also acknowledges that there are things we just can't explain. And um, he's a very intimidating guy. You know, like I, I'm aware of what this guy 
probably has seen over the years and he reminded me of dennis hopper so i was just like <laughs> in awe of this guy for some reason so <laughs> but no fantastic guy and um has seen a lot around that mountain everything from you know the insane which is like a guy who went out there and took a bunch of shrooms hoping to meet the lemurians and got lost on the mountain to some really horrific stuff where you know people were either murdered or uh, tragedies and things. And that's one thing I really uh, wanted to make a point of is that at the center of this, the, there's some tragic tales of, you know, people going missing, never to be seen again. Yeah. And that's a real thing. And I wanted to respect that throughout uh, the investigation. And that, that was my focus, you know, look, it's a big collaboration. And, and sometimes, you know, like I came forward with this idea, but then that idea is submitted to the collaboration and there's some other ideas thrown in there. And sometimes I wrestle with them and sometimes I think they're good ideas. Uh, so looking into the Lemurians wasn't, like, I don't know if that's what it was. Sometimes I, I, I've done my own research over the years and this is part of it, of course, but you know, independent research. And I think the most obvious thing might be the answer. And it's hard for us to think like the bad guy, to think like a predator. But if you think like that for a moment, it opens your mind to a lot of other possibilities. And I think this is why people are baffled by certain cases because they just won't allow their brains to go there. And so I don't know if it's Lemurians or uh, some creature from another dimension. I, I have a feeling there's some really bad people up in the mountains. And... Okay, that's interesting. But you're, you're, you're talking about these Lumerians, and they come from Lumeria, which is a lost civilization that sank somewhere in the um, Indian or Pacific Ocean. What's the connection between that, I guess you'd call it a hypothetical lost, situ uh, lost civilization, and why they are now located in the depths of Mount Shasta? And why are they taking people? <laughs> well, you're asking me as if I know. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. All I know is that there. this is a story that's gone on and on for a long time. It's been passed through tradition, especially in that area. And there are a lot of people who uh, truly believe they're in touch with advanced energies that feel that the Lumeria or Telos, this hidden city, is within Mount Shasta, is deep within the earth, that there are advanced races and advanced civilizations and portals to other dimensions that exist. I'm not ruling that out. You know, like I, there's some cases that are just will make your head spin and, and it's not in line with a mountain man or reclusive serial killer or whatever living in the mountains attacking people. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we talk about some of those stories in the episode for instance, um, there's a gentleman named Jack Tom that we talked to, a uh, Native American gentleman who um, who had an experience when he was a younger man. And that's in line with a lot of different experiences people had on the mountain that were more elaborate and um, in line with this ancient civilization or this alien civilization. But I've heard all kinds of stories yeah. come out of there. I do want to get into that one a little bit more, but I want to mention these uh, three disappearances that uh, you discussed in the early part of the episode. There's uh, Jerry Lee McCohen, who disappeared September 21st, 2002. 
There is Carl Landers, who disappeared May 25th, 1999. And there's Rosemary Kuntz, who disappeared August 18th, 2000. Right. Jerry McCohen was, he he was a hunter, not by uh, profession. What he was doing when he went out there, it was actually hunting for restaurant-grade mushrooms. And so he was out there, you know, probably a little off-season and was heading out to go collect these mushrooms, which was interesting. I've never heard that before until we, we got into this case. Yeah, for a restaurant? So, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. He would sell them to, to, to restaurants. So farm he'd go table. out there, yep, farm out mushrooms. Uh, and I think it was off-season, so he may, maybe he wasn't supposed to be there at that time, as I'm told by his, his friend that we interviewed. Mm. Uh, but he went out there that morning for those purposes and never came back. His truck was found. Uh, his, his gear was still in the truck and there was no, he was nowhere to be found. No body, no evidence of struggle, no evidence of foul play. Locked Uh, truck. Thought that was interesting. Yeah. Did they use any sort of dogs, scent tracking dogs? Yes, they did. They did. You know, this is another thing. Like in these cases, search and rescue has told us that the dogs do not pick up on any scent. And this is the thing, as you've read in missing 411, that, um, uh, Pilatus had, had figured out is that a lot of these things are happening around the same time. You know, uh, search and rescue dogs and experts can't usually hit on the points they they normally do uh, to achieve some kind of evidence or sh- achieve some kind of roadmap to figuring out what happened. And that's what's that's what was terrifying to me reading these cases, and that's why I wanted to look into them further. You know, I wanted to 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 create this episode. Um, but part of the episode ended up being this this more uh, ethereal aspect of it, which I wasn't fully aware of it existing. I had read little bits and pieces of it, but uh, you know, I found it to be interesting, and I, I don't mind looking into these things because there's some people who, like I said, some people that have some sobriety in their character that believe in these things. So that's that's what pulls me in, not the obvious you know whack job who wants to believe in everything. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there was also an account of a minor who you didn't name because he was underage when it happened to him. But uh, he sort of got lost in the woods. And can you tell us about that story? Because that was really creepy. Yeah. And this this little boy was amongst many kids that got lost, some never coming back, some being found later that were deceased, unfortunately. In this case, though, he did, he was found later, but he completely disappeared for a little while and came back with this tale of seeing his grandmother or something that looked like and resembled his grandmother. And then this light shining from her neck and, you know, all of this kind of supernatural, uh, you know, details within the story. As kids tend to do, I came back with one when I was a kid, you know, I disappeared for a little while. Uh, and came back with a story of a, a space woman coming out of a ship. And my mother tells this story to this day. You know, she goes around and tells people, this is what he did. <laughs> and it's like, and I told everybody in the neighborhood, there was a space woman with them. Um, and particularly like very well endowed space woman jumped out of a ship and approached me. <laughs> <laughs> well endowed? Yes. She had, uh, you know, giant breasts. Um, but this is what I told everybody in the neighborhood at five years old. 
Yeah. You know, and I don't know if I saw a woman in a costume, maybe, or whatever. I have a vague memory of this, but I think a lot of it is just hearing this story over the years and um, it creating an image in my mind. You know, right. like, I don't even know what, where the pure memory of this is. All I know is that I really did that. I really ran around the neighborhood telling everybody. That. <laughs> Do you remember where you were when you were missing? No, I, you know, I, my, uh, my neighborhood was surrounded by woods, so I don't know if I went for a walk in the woods or what, but, um, it was a long time ago. Yeah. Now ago. this, uh, young man, this, this boy who was up there and he wandered off and saw something that resembled his grandmother. He said that there was an orange light coming out of, uh, the neck area. Two questions. What do you make of this orange light thing? Because that seems to be a reoccurring uh, aspect to uh, people's stories when they come back, if they come back. And um, what was he doing there in the first place? Do you mean what what the boy was doing there? Yeah, well, he was he was camping with his family. Okay, or he was at, yeah, and that and that is a common occurrence. You know, like people are on campouts, they turn their head, and someone is gone. All of this really, you know, like I was so into this story and I was told um, by uh, David Carabinas a story that he heard of, of a very similar thing. Not a little boy, but uh, a, another man going missing that really inspired me to want to do this episode again. So there, there, there are a lot of factors in this, but that's a common thing. People are in one place, one second, having normal behavior, normal conversation. If it's a child, the child is in, you know, sight distance, you know, feet away from the mother or family. And then someone turns their head and the person is gone and they're never to be found again. And it drives people crazy. And on the outskirts of these of the the the, the incident, you know, like the last time people see another the, the missing before they go. Then there are all these other details, like I saw something carry it away. I saw this. I saw that. And so the grandmother with the orange light is something that the little boy came back with, you know. And um, again, kids tell tales. You know, I told one when I was a kid. Was it real? I don't know. I don't remember. Um, all I know is that I, I told everybody that story. And this child's story is in line with some of the fantastic elements that other people came back with or said they saw. And so I felt like it was worth looking into, you know, because there were, there were more than a few people telling this story and that it is a local legend around there and that, you know, it goes way back. And I don't know if the local legend is the thing that sparks the imagination and people want to have this other world out there or does it really exist? And I'm certainly not ruling it out because I've had odd experiences myself that I do remember. Now, what so, is it about this orange light? Particularly orange light? I have no idea. I don't mm. know. Did you guys uh, with the production reach out to this kid? I know in research they may have tried. I, I personally didn't have the opportunity to speak to him. And uh, and so Jack Tom, this uh, fellow that you meet later in the episode, he says that he has seen portals and he's seen beings, he said. And he also said that above the tree line is sacred ground. But he described something that he saw. He said beings, I believe they're wearing red or orange maybe, and they had spears and they were waving Jack over to him. 
Right. Jack said the beings that he saw were dressed as Roman soldiers. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what he said mm -hmm. he saw. And then um, he said they were waving to him and beckoning him. He had he fell asleep. He was, I think, playing his guitar or something. And he wasn't far from his trailer. He fell asleep. He opened his eyes, and these guys were in the distance. And he said it just didn't feel right. You know? And he left. Um, it didn't feel pleasant. It didn't feel right. And so I don't, you know, again, other people have seen beings out there and, you know, like this child or other people who have said they have seen things out there. And a lot of these stories of people just disappearing like that, you know, if you were to consider maybe there is some kind of weird version of the Bermuda Triangle out in the forest. You know, maybe there are portals. Maybe there are things that people can walk through and just simply disappear and vanish uh, into some other dimension or some other place. Then it would make sense because otherwise it doesn't. It just simply doesn't. You know, and then uh, but then I hear stories of recently there was a woman that went missing for a few days. I don't know if you heard that one. It was in major news and you know, the, her husband was out in a park with her. She went for a hike. She was gone. She comes back two days later and said there was a guy with a knife and that yeah. she ran from him and hid. Now, that was a major that was out there. It was a major story. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I, I'm leaning towards that a lot of the time. But then there are these other stories, a ton of them, and not just in Mount Shasta, but all over that just simply don't make any sense to our reality. And, um, you know, and that's, that's strange world. I mean, like, you know, that's our job. <laughs> we're looking into that. Right now in this episode, you did not put anything on your head that we were, um, aware of just the hood, just right. Just, during, a, just, a hood. I did though. It, it didn't make it into the episode. <sighs> that guy, uh, Rob <laughs> Porter gave me a pyramid to put on my head. Of course head. he did. Oh, of course yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you did go into Pluto's cave, correct, with an EMF device. Can you uh, talk a little bit about oh, that? Oh, the EMF device. Yeah. A tricky little device. Okay. Yeah. How much, how much, how much, uh, how much weight do you give that? Well, I, you know, again, I'm not, <laughs> and I make it, I mean, at least when we're shooting, I make it very clear, like, I am using this device to see if there is some kind of spike in electromagnetic energy. The ghost hunter that I respected the most was Dr. Barry Taff. He was a real parapsychologist, takes it very seriously. He'd studied it throughout the years, was in UCLA department when they had one uh, with Thelma Moss and really studied these things, a real scientist, really somebody that took it seriously. And he believed that in a lot of the cases, there were spikes in the electromagnetic field. So that's why you see all these ghost hunters running around with these devices. Probably half of them don't realize they're spiking because of the lights in the room or a light socket or electric socket, uh, uh, cameras, cell phones make them spike. So to get a baseline, you really have to clear things out. However, we were in a cave, so there wasn't much in there but our equipment. And I think at that time it was only uh, Ryan Rood, Nate Horowitz, and myself. Uh, you know, using that device. I think the rest of the crew started heading out when we were shooting those moments. So, uh, and we still didn't get a, a spike. So I don't know. It could be some other energy that's not showing up in, in the electromagnetic spectrum. And that's as really as far as I know. I know a little bit more data on it, and I know that 
in certain cases, Dr. Barry Taff had these spikes where there was activity reported and where he had actually experienced things. So, I mean, that's one way. Obviously, we, you know, we're, we're still trying. Maybe in 50 years from now, uh, you know, the, the, the paranormal analysis will be, you know, on the line with uh, quantum physics, you know, or, or something that we really can measure and understand. And I think it's consistently evolving. But right now we have these little devices. And uh, to me, a lot of the time, I don't, you know, I don't know what we're picking up. I know that in certain cases during Strange World, we did get significant spikes that I think were uh, worth talking about. But in this case, we didn't really get anything. You just mentioned Rob Potter, and he is uh, listed as a metaphysical expert, and he claims to be able to communicate with aliens. And his environment that you were in, was it was just covered in crystals and what looked like these copper uh, pyramid-type structures that were holding the crystals— and then you had this sort of laser show with music to oh, yeah. to um, enhance your uh, vibration or something to communicate beyond the physical world. What was that like? <laughs> and did I describe it at all accurately? <laughs> you described it perfectly. I, you know, I went in there and I made a joke to Mr. Porter and, uh, uh, oh, is it Potter? Yeah. yeah, it's Rob Potter. I keep calling him Rob Porter. You want to know why? Because we were talking about, um, portals and he called them portholes exactly <laughs> i could see that yeah but you know I, I made a joke to him i said tell me tell me the truth rob you're doing this to pick up chicks <laughs> you know like I, all right there's a lot of pageantry and demonstrative display in his setup yeah and you know he's wearing white and he's got the whole new age vibe going but i think he really does believe in, in these energies. I think, you know, people enjoy this stuff for its novelty and its aesthetics. And I think that um, a lot of that is what we were seeing. Yeah. But I do believe in energies and I do. I, I mean, I experience them every day and uh, I, I study, you know, just about every philosophy I can get my hands on to read about and try and experience and, and see if there's any truth in it. And um you know, energies really do exist. You know when you're when you're feeling horrible, and if you retrace the provenance of that, sometimes you can find that it might be a person that set you off or a trigger or some kind of situation, and you can balance that out. But there's nothing physically happening to you. Right. It's all inside. And you could say, oh, it's all in my mind, but you're feeling it throughout your body too. So I believe in this energetic plane and this existence and, and balance and meditation and I believe we are, you could call them spirits or, or an energy for sure. You know, I'm, I believe in that. So um, I was just trying to keep my mind open when I was there. And I also sure. believe in, you know, new age, you know, excessiveness. <laughs> and uh, and I find it to be funny sometimes. Sometimes I truly respect it. It depends on the person. You know, it depends right. on who's, who's talking about it. And with Rob Potter, was he like, what was he like um, off screen when you weren't rolling? Was he cool and like normal guy or did he like, Oh, he was, he was yeah. a very nice guy. I, you know, we had fun there that day. Uh, the crew had to, had a good time. Uh, I, he, he was a nice guy. I don't, I don't know what else to say. I'm, I have a very open mind to what he was telling us and, um, and tried to remain that, you know, sometimes, you know, these things seem very awkward, especially with the display and the crystals and everything. So, every, you know, people aren't used to that. And they've seen 
that sometimes only in jest. You know, there's so many comedies that make fun of stuff like this. Yeah, so it's, like, it's a little too yeah. easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we we had a, we had a few chuckles that day. For sure. Yeah. Now, what about Ashlyn, who was the uh, psychic counselor, and she channeled some spirit by the name of Saint Germain uh, in your oh, presence? Yeah. Well, how did that go down? Okay. Now let's rewind back to Leonard Nimoy's In Search Up for a second. All right. So I grew here, up here watching. Come, here comes the yes. reference, the reference that I never <laughs> expected. I love it. <laughs> I grew up watching reruns of In Search Of. So my favorite show as a little kid, and that's why I feel so grateful to be making like my own version of it right now. And um, so there was an episode about the the man who would not die, the legend of Saint Germain. And it talked about this man throughout many centuries who um, the Count of St. Germain, they, they, they would see him. You know, he would be in one place with Casanova and then 200 years later, someone would see him again. And people would recall like a little boy. I saw St. Germain when I was a little boy. And now that's him. You know, they would point him out. And so so for so many years, this man would just, you know, he was he would never die. So he would be in so many different places, guiding people, changing things you know, directing history. And, um, and so in that episode, Nimoy explored this kind of cult, cult of St. Germain. And I believe, you know, I haven't confirmed it, but I believe that Ashlyn may have been part of that group because they all worshiped and channeled St. Germain. And, um, and that's who they're referring to. Now, the connection between the good old saint and, Lemuria is that they're suggesting that he was more human, an advanced uh, civilization, part of that civilization. And so she, Ashlyn, believes that she's channeling the spirit of this person, this being, St. Germain, and that he is talking through her. Now, at first glance, you, you know, a lot of people would just think she's a total wackadoodle and, um, you know, she's making it up. Uh but once again, I keep a very open mind to these things. I, I don't have the first propensity to sit and make fun of somebody. That's not why I'm here. You know, like Penn and Teller uh, did this awesome show, Bullshit. That, that was their thing. You know, Amazing Randy likes to debunk people. He does it in a very entertaining way, not like super cynical and rude. But that's not my job. And my job is to keep an open mind for myself and the audience and allow them to see this without you know, too much, uh, unnecessary manipulation. So I, uh, she believes she can channel this being. And in the episode you have seen, and the audience will see who hasn't seen it yet. Uh, uh, Ashlyn actually speak in a, in a different inflection and different voice as if this spirit of this being is inside of her speaking through her. Now, what we saw on the episode was one thing. Did she go into it a little bit further that we didn't see in the episode? Was there more communication that they just didn't show us? Oh yeah, there always is. I mean, um, I wish I could show you half of the things we saw that didn't make it into the episodes. But, tell, um, tell, this is what we're here for. Tell us now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well in this case, she just said more. She was trying to give me guidance. St. Germain, I'm sorry, was, um, giving me guidance and telling me about my character, my future, my journey, how I need to open myself to the energies and allow myself to 
uh, be guided by those energies to find the truth. I'd have to say you're pretty open to the energies, Christopher. I don't know. Oh yeah, <laughs> I feel like I feel like you're you're real close. <laughs> Listen, I offer, and and this is why I really want to do an episode for season two, where we hunt this killer gator, this legendary killer gator, and I want to get a quint like. You know, grizzled <laughs> yes. gator hunter guy, and we go out on this hunt. It's gonna be fantastic. It's gonna be like Jaws, you know. Yeah, like I could be great. Chief Brody and Hooper rolled into one. <laughs> I love that. Well, at least, at least both of those guys lived. <laughs> yeah, right. that's what I'm saying. I'm not gonna be Quint. Yeah, well, yeah. That guy, whoever you cast for that, you know, he can just get eaten real quick. <laughs> we'll find him. He's out there, man. <laughs> so, do you think that there's a vibration that humans have to reach to be on the same level? as what's out there at a place like Mount Shasta? Do you think that Mount Shasta vibrates at a certain level? and the Frequency. Yeah, that they vibrate at a certain frequency, and and in order to see these things, and you've hit that frequency of vibration? Well, it obviously that's been suggested to us, but how do you get to that vibration? Is it just simply keeping an open mind to all of these stories? Is it you have to meditate with a pyramid on your head? Do you have to have a bunch of crystals and wear a white robe? I don't know. Or is it instantaneous? Is it just simply opening the mind to the possibilities? And um, I I suspect I might be vibrating at a particular frequency because I've had, I've, again, I'm able to joke about it and laugh about it, but I really have had experiences. I've seen things, I've heard things, not every day, of course, because then I would be crazy, but I, I, I have had my own experiences over the years, and I am a very sane, sober man who is telling you there's something more to this world than just, you know, our domains, our homes, our jobs, our families. There's there's a lot more to this, and uh, for sure. And I'm obviously not the only one that thinks so. Well, I think that some of the people that go out there, for example, Rosemary Kuntz, she went out there as a part of a spiritual retreat so she's already opening herself up to experiencing something more Correct. to this world. Correct. And I'm not saying yeah. that she's that it was just um, you know, influenced on her that way. Perhaps she did open some sort of uh level of, of frequency or vibration. Right. Rosemary was seeking a spiritual retreat after getting into an accident with her husband. Her husband unfortunately passed away, and this was sometime after recovery that Rosemary um, found Jack Tom and, and his group and his uncle and went to this retreat. And at some point she requested, actually she requested someone to go with her. It was a young, young boy. And then he decided that he didn't want to go. So then she decided to go off by herself. Now, of course she was open to a spiritual experience. That's what she was there for. In this case, there was a patch of hair found and speaking to Grizz Adams search and rescue, he did explain that there is, it, it does baffle people because there was nothing else, but a little patch of hair. But in this case, whereas some of the other cases are completely uh, baffling, this could have been an animal attack. This could have been a swift animal attack. Um, and Grizz Adams did say that it's still puzzling because there's there's no other evidence to support that. But I think 
these guys are, you know, by nature need to lean towards evidence, need to lead towards something tangible and not say, well, it was, you know, Roman soldiers from Telos or St. Germain popped over and said, come on, you know, let's go. Yeah. Uh, leave some of your hair first. Yeah. Now, was the hair tested? It was known to be rosemary's? Yes, I believe it was. It was a small patch of hair. It was wow. tested and it was it was believed to be hers. Mm, that's tragic. But there was no other evidence that's, that supports that she was attacked by an animal. And usually in these cases, there's a big mess. You know, there's blood and there's clothing and there's all sorts of stuff. And in this case, there was nothing. Yeah, and it was also near a lake, which um, I was going to suggest, you know, that, that possibly being... Uh, what happened? Maybe she slipped into a body of water, but it's a lot easier to believe if it's a river, um, a lake, maybe not so. I mean, depends how big the lake is, but, um, you know, I don't think that's easily, you know, you can easily hide a body just, uh, you know, without any preparation. I mean, I've, I've heard these stories from credible people on and off throughout my life. You speak of a lake. I, I remember the story a gentleman told me he was in a cabin with a bunch of hunters and I was working on a, a little construction crew with him. He was like the foreman. And, um, you know, a guy who would never tell the story like this, that he had walked out uh, and at night for a moment. Okay. He wasn't drunk and he was looking at the stars and there was a woman hovering above the lake. And she was hovering towards him. And you could see him getting scared. I, I could see him getting scared as he was telling me. And this is a guy who probably didn't tell many people this story, but knew I was into a lot of weird stuff and figured he could tell me, you know, needed to get it off his chest. And he was like, this guy was just a normal, you know, hardworking guy who decided to tell me this story. Reminds me of the story that Roosevelt was told by, uh, if you read his book, um, The Wilderness Hunter. Uh, by this guy uh, Bauman, you know, uh, this extraordinary experience of this guy Bauman getting attacked by this creature. And Roosevelt decided to write this in his, this odd creature too, not not anyone that we know of. Roosevelt wrote this in his memoirs because it affected him so much, the story. Now, you know, Roosevelt didn't have that experience personally, but he he experienced it through this guy. And I feel that same way. And so when we're out there talking to people, that's what I'm looking for. I'm really looking for um, some kind of raw truth and emotion coming from the person telling the tale. I don't care about how elaborate the tale is. I just want to find some truth in the vibration of the story itself. You know, like, does it feel right? Does this person really believe this happened? And so a lot of these stories that we're, we're hearing, I'm always looking for that when someone's telling. Yeah. Do you ever suspect that some of these people might have a history of, say, mental illness or anything of the sort well you know in some cases I, in a lot like when making the montauk chronicles and and uh, um related projects yeah i mean some of these people could come off that way but in a lot of other cases of people that i spoke to over the years not at all you know not at all i don't i don't see any mental illness uh that's apparent when speaking to them you know like whereas in some of the other people there's kind of erratic behavior and you know, physical tics and stuff like that. And, yep. You know, they're all over the place when they, when they tell a story. So I don't know. And uh, so tell us a little bit more about going into Pluto's cave. Now, uh, apparently the this cave, these tunnels were were elaborately sort of formed 
um, through lava when the when the mountain or volcano, I guess, uh, erupted with lava. But some of the tunnels have um, collapsed at this point. So what was that like walking inside path that lava uh, started? Yeah, Pluto's cave. Well, you know, it reminded me a lot of, believe it or not, of Camp Hero for a second because I started to see a lot of graffiti. So obviously that's evident of of visitors coming down and making their mark. But then there was this ancient uh, writing. I mean, like hundreds and hundreds of years old, you know, archaic writing on the wall of, according to the gentleman we spoke to, uh, I believe his name is pronounced next, he uh, said that, you know, hundreds of years ago, there was this 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 cult almost, uh, this group of people who uh, this this um, this order that was in touch apparently with the energies uh, within the earth, and they had this their meetings, their congregation would show up there, and so there's still paintings and and names and letters that are painted on the on the wall of the cave from those people. And then, of course, you know, peace symbols, pot leaves, all sorts yes. of good stuff that came later. <laughs> <laughs> Any idea what the ancient writings said? I think it was more about their order, um, the names of the people in the order. You know, we didn't have a lot of time. That's the hard part. It's like you find something like that and you want to further explore it. And it's like, nope, we got to move. We got to go. And it's like, okay. <laughs> Well, in fairness, uh, I don't I don't blame the producers or crew in that case. You're standing inside uh, a potentially uh, active volcano. <laughs> yeah, like no, very true. Very like true. how how will or ready was everyone like the entire crew to like uh, you know grab defend the, against an active volcano? <laughs> yeah, grab the equipment and run the hell out of there. Check this out. Do you remember the movie, or did you do you know of the movie by Werner Herzog, La Soufrière? Yeah. Where everyone's running from the volcano that's about to erupt. So what does Herzog do? He runs. Let's go. Yeah. He goes to the island while everyone's leaving. <laughs> uh, there, that that documentary is ridiculous. Yeah, man. There's 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 footage where you're just like, you don't have to do that. No need. <laughs> no. Totally, but that was him. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I carry a bit of that spirit in myself, even though I want to live. Uh, you know, I want to live to make more movies and more television shows. Sometimes that's an executive decision. Like, all right, we have to leave because we have more stuff to make. I want to give a shout out to the young woman who is uh, present with you during most of these adventures. I, her name is Haley Trainer. I think you pronounce her last name. Yes. Is she sort of the 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 scully to your Mulder in some in some cases off off air off camera not exactly i mean i, I you know the the production wanted and this is just honest production wanted to get somebody there to be able to ask questions so they wanted me to present a few possibilities i always wanted it to be haley because and i'll tell you because like i met her a while back at uh the screening of montauk chronicles and in in at the philip k dick film festival and she seemed like really ambitious and, and interesting and intelligent. And she was taking photos of the event. And then later to learn that this girl has gone through extraordinary events throughout her life. And she goes out by herself, which you could debate whether this is uh, crazy or just brave. Uh, she goes out and mountain climbs by herself. She camps out in like these you know, acres and acres of national forests by herself. It's crazy. Yeah, so I, I thought that was really cool, and um, 
that's who I wanted to be that that person. Uh, it never went to that extreme, though. And I was always willing to keep an open mind to that. But, you know, who knows down the road, you know, what what she will do. But, yes, she's she's a cool person. And I think she was right for the for the job. Well, when you have a chance, fire uh, contact info. We'd love to have her on to chat with of us course. about about you separately. Oh, she's <laughs> sure she's going to say a lot of fun stuff about me. <laughs> Great. <laughs> So how far did you go out into those woods alone by yourself at the end of this episode? No spoilers. How far did I go alone? I was willing to go alone pretty far, but then again, I'm also an intelligent person, or at least fairly intelligent, that I know that a lot of things can happen. I did not have a knife on me. I didn't have a rifle on me. I didn't have survival gear on me, and I would if I were to go off very, very far. But I insisted that at the very least, this be a meditation. I go by myself and I think about it. You know, look, we're making a show. So we have to make a show. And we're we're pressed for time. And we have all this stuff. But I wanted to at least be honest, you know. And so I felt the, the best thing to do at that moment was to walk off by myself as far as I feel I could go. And think about this for a second. Just break away from the crew, break away from the schedule for a moment and just talk about what it's like to be alone for the audience you know for for that moment and that's that was my attempt before it went to its finality yeah and uh you heard some sounds in the woods some snap sounds and and saw some kind of orange glow in the distance can you explain that a little bit to us no spoilers (laughs) okay i you know i contemplated whether or not the orange glow was a campfire from some other group or some other person's uh, we once again we did not explore that, but I did see something in the distance, and it was in a remote area, so there wasn't any houses or anything there. So that's one thing. The snaps and stuff like that. I again, I I wasn't super worried about it outside of it being an animal. Um, <laughs> an but an, then I did an animal yeah, that could yeah. kill you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, that's the first thing my mind goes to is like, I can't, I don't have anything I can even remotely defend myself against. And, uh, you know, you see that scene in The Revenant, DiCaprio getting Mm. devoured by a grizzly bear. I don't want to be him. So, uh, yeah. Well, he won an Academy Award for it. Yeah, you'd probably win an Emmy if you got attacked. Yeah, but... (laughs) But no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. He he didn't really get attacked. What? <laughs> no, he didn't, Lance. Yeah. It was a it was a stunt man. Yeah, he just pretended like he uh, got attacked. That, that wasn't a documentary? <laughs> no. No, it was <laughs> no. not. <laughs> well, you uh sum up a lot of all of these uh fantastic concepts in every episode and, and you said something in this episode that really stood out to me and you said Really, you boiled it down to something very basic. You said it's a lot to absorb because it's not within our normal comprehension. And that really opens up your mind to think that, yeah, you you, you as an individual, me, Tim, we all have what we look at every single day. And you keep getting hit with that every single day and you start to lose an open-mindedness to other things. And I think that's, I'd like to think that's what you meant. And I think if anyone takes anything from this episode and the previous episodes is that you can start to think of things outside of your regular world. Yes, very much. We must, uh, because our world is about to change. Our reality is, is going to, our paradigms will be shattered 
coming going forward. And I feel if, if the most important thing that you can draw from Strange World in its entirety and all of its episodes coming forward and whatever we do next is that is a glimpse into what, you know, usually like there's there's a hidden history and there's a hidden existence that most of us don't pay attention to, but it's happening. And so those are the things I want to look at. Those are the things I want to record. And those are the things I want to find some kind of evidence of or at least something, someone who experienced it that's believable. And that's that's what we do every episode. That's what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to show you that. And um, and so, yeah, you must keep an open mind to that. What do you think? Your life just consists of uh, what you're having for lunch and, uh, you know, what's on TV and uh, what time you have to be at work. Yeah, that's that's part of it. And those things are important. But there's a lot more to it than that. And I think you'll, you'll miss out on the development of that other part of yourself that exists if all you do is pay attention to that stuff. Cool. Well, uh, thank you very much, Christopher, for joining us here on another episode of Beyond Strange World. We really appreciate your time and appreciate you helping to open our minds and keep them open. <laughs> Likewise. Thank you very much. And the next episode is one that we're all very excited about. You hinted at it when we first talked to you, and that's the one about James Dean's car. If I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. Okay, yes. good. Can't wait to yes. talk to you about that. I can't wait to, and we're going to have a lot of fun stuff leading up to that. I've been talking to Lee Raskin, who's the James Dean biographer. We just have a ton of ideas that, uh, you know, in terms of promotion, in terms of getting people excited for the episode that we're going to uh, put into application this week. Very cool. Well, thank you very much, Christopher. Thank you. Thank you.